Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. Today's topic is one that for people on the provider side of healthcare is somewhat sensitive and for the rest of the world, for those looking towards healthcare is really provocative. We're going to be talking about digital technology and the rise of artificial intelligence with a real leader in this work, with a with one of the true guides that we have, Vivek Wadwa is going to be speaking with us. Before we get to that episode, just want to remind everyone, please take a look at the website for Explore the Space, www.explorethespaceshow.com. The whole archive is there, all of the wonderful conversations and topics and learning. It's all housed there. You can find me on social media. I'm very active on Twitter, at ETS Show. And then you can email me anytime. I love getting emails from listeners. What are we doing well? What do you want to hear more content around? What's interesting to you and what can we do better? My email is mark at explorethespaceshow.com. You can find the podcast on all of your favorite platforms, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Please subscribe. We've got lots of good content coming. Don't want you to miss out on any of it. And please take the opportunity to leave us a rating and a review. That really helps drive new listeners to the show and find all the wonderful work and conversations that we're doing here. This is going to be a good one. It's it's fun when we have people who are way out at the sharp edge, way out on the tip of the spear, doing work on important things. Vivek, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. I'm really looking forward to kind of comparing some notes and seeing what kind of common ground we can find here. Sounds good. Glad to be on. So you and I connected initially on Twitter. We both follow CNBC's reporter, Christina Farr, and she's always posting good, provocative, thoughtful topics. And I can't remember specifically what she posted, but your comment was one around how digital technology and artificial intelligence was going to revolutionize, irrevocably change healthcare. And I remember when I read that, it hit me in a certain way. And so I replied, you know, I think that we can probably reframe this a little bit. And you were kind enough to immediately say, let's let's continue this conversation. When you put that thought forward, let's just start from the foundational principles for you with the extensive training that you've had, with the work that you've been doing in the technology space for so long. When you look at the horizon of all that is coming and you look at what needs to be changed in healthcare, where are those circuits closing? What's, what's, what are the real drivers of this for you? You know, so far for the last uh, hundreds of years, you've had specialists in medicine who have been trying to uh, cure disease. And, uh, you know, they're, they're very good. They've done the best job they possibly could. But now you have the tech industry entering this field. If you think about it, Apple is now in the medical device uh, business. The Apple Watch really is adding all sorts of new sensors and medical devices. And so is Microsoft. So is Samsung. Google is now trying to cure death itself with one of their companies called Calico. So what the tech industry has realized is is the next big frontier is the medical industry. It's a stagnant industry. I mean, look at the number of drugs that come out every year, and it's an insignificant number. And look at the progress that's happened. Uh, It's small. With the advances in technology, the world is about to change. We're going to have more advances in medicine over the next five years than we've had over over the last 50. The next 10 years are going to be incredible. But within a decade or so, we should be at a point that we should we can cure almost every disease. 
All right, so let me now talk about some of the core technologies that are making all of this possible. Start with the basics. What I have in my hand right now is a smartphone. I'm talking to you on Skype. But this device over here has more computing power than the Cray supercomputers had in the 1970s. I've got actually something like 40 Cray supercomputers in my hand. And those, each supercomputer would have you know, fit, in a, fit in a big building and it cost in the 10 to $20 million range. So computing has gotten uh, uh, you know, amazingly cheap, amazingly powerful, and amazingly smaller. And then the sensors, in the same hand, in the same phone, I have accelerometers, gyroscopes, I have you know, all sorts of sensors, humidity sensors, uh, different pressure sensors, devices that would have cost hundreds of thousands of dollars just 30 or 40 years ago. I mean, this, you know, you know, the nuclear missiles that we have, they have accelerometers and gyroscopes in them. That's what guides them to, to their destination. What we have in our smartphones is more precise, more accurate. Those things that our nuclear missiles have cost tens of millions of dollars, weighed, you know, 50 pounds, 100 pounds, these things cost about a dollar or less. And now the same sensors that uh, are in our smartphones are now being added to the Apple Watch. So that's how they can detect arterial, arterial defibrillation and you know, keep monitoring our, our health and lifestyles. So that's one set of advances, now having sensors everywhere so that soon it'll be more than Apple Watches. We'll have sensors in our clothing that monitor us 24-7. Already now uh, you can detect a person's activity levels. You can de detect their emotional state. You can detect their health. You can know when, when people have fallen down by monitoring the accelerometers and gyroscopes. So all of these technologies already exist, and now they're being added to consumer appliances. So soon we'll have sensors on our body that monitor us 24-7 and now detect our you know, physical uh, activity levels. Next step, going inside the body. There are all sorts of technologies being built to go inside the body. Take the MC10 pills, uh, you know, the, uh, which essentially go inside your, uh, your body and, and uh, uh, you know, Soon they'll be delivering medications, they'll be navigating, they'll uh, be having little tiny nanobots that can go and do precise surgery. So we're having these, these new devices that can go inside the body and start exploring. Today, when you want, you know, antibiotics, what you do with antibiotics is that you're essentially dropping a nuclear bomb in the body, killing off the entire ecosystem of microbiomes to try to get one particular uh, target. But well, what if you could go precisely to the region of the body where it's needed and deliver medications exactly where they were needed? Those are coming. The navigation capabilities of these pills are getting better and better, and they're getting smaller, and they're getting cheaper. So move forward five or ten years, we'll be able to deliver medications precisely to the regions of the body that need it, and it'll be one hundredth, one thousandth of what we deliver right now. So that's happening. Now, the most amazing advance of all is in, the, in genomics. The human genome was sequenced. Um, in the year 2000, there was a race between a scientist, Greg Venter, and the U.S. government to, to sequence the human genome. Venter took government data, and uh, he beat the government to the punch. He, uh, he accelerated the process of, of full human genome sequencing by two or three years by, uh, by taking the data and uh, beating the government to the punch. Now, it was a big deal then that we had been decoded, we had been deciphered, and then nothing happened for 10 or 15 years. And even the New York Times declared genomics a failure. But, it, but what happened is that it went on this exponential path, and now the cost of genomic sequencing went down from roughly $3 billion in the year 2000 to about five, seven, eight hundred dollars $800 now to do a complete human genome sequence. That's what it can be done for using uh, some of the sequencers on the market. So... 
move forward five years, the cost of sequencing will be practically nothing. I won't be surprised if uh, Samsung or Apple announce that they have done a deal with Oxford Nanopore or some other sequencing company to integrate the sequencers into uh, their uh, smartphone devices. And the cost of sequencing is practically zero. Five, not five years, 10 years. In that time frame, five to 10 year time frame, you'll start seeing that, which means they will be sequencing everything. So now you start taking all of these data and, and start understanding the correlations between health, lifestyle, habits, and you have a revolution in the making because it all boils down to being able to analyze the data using artificial intelligence. Well, let me let me just pick up a little bit on, on what you were saying. So these three big buckets that you're describing, right? You're, you're describing a bucket first around having all these incredible sensors to detect all the different metrics, all the different physiologic responses of the human body. You're describing the ability for technology to get to the really, 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 really targeted level, as you, as you say, right, antibiotics versus nanotechnology. And then this third bucket of genomics and being able to sequence the human genome. And, and, and all of these paint a really exciting picture, but what I'm interested in, and, and I can only begin to imagine how artificial intelligence will be an accelerant beyond imagining to drive all of this, where I take a moment of pause in listening to all of this and where I think a lot of people kind of on my side of the equation have that moment of pause is around two, two pieces. And I'll put these forward to you. The first one is around whether or not these entities that are doing this work, Apple, Samsung, and things, if they are looking for partnership with the healthcare industry on behalf of patients, or if they're looking for it as something that will be margin driven, if they're looking for it as something that will purely be to benefit shareholders as opposed to benefit their patients. That's the first part the second part, and this is another big one, is not just safety in terms of device safety and drug safety, but safety around privacy. Because if we're tracking all of these things, this is stuff that it can't get into the public sphere unless people give their consent to do so. There's, there's an article in today's Wall Street Journal, I saw it an hour before you and I went on the air, that data from a lot of different health apps has been diverted to Facebook. And now Facebook has that data and can do what they want with it. There's, these are very real concerns. People you know, literally surrendering their genetic code to an industry. These are some, there's, there's ethical challenges for sure, but there's also any number of other challenges. So when we have this juxtaposition of these, these three incredibly exciting buckets that you lay out, plus AI, but then we juxtapose that with concerns around intent from the industry with our pa patients at the center or something else at the center and then around security of data and security of this information this is where i think this conversation can go in an interesting direction how are we going to reconcile that tension going forward in a nutshell to answer your question we're screwed <laughs> i mean i can't <laughs> put it more differently than that because um, uh, you're right these companies have a single aim here to be able to monetize our data and to be able to profit from it. And they don't care about us. Facebook doesn't care about its, its users. All it cares about is getting everything, learning everything it can about them and then being able to allow people to target them and making a lot of money in the process. So if it was just up to Facebook and even Google, um, uh, you know, we'd be de dealing with the Mad Max scenario. By the way, I have a book called Driver in the Driverless Car in which I talked about all of these things. In it, I postulated that there are two possible outcomes here. One is an amazing future of Star Trek. The other is the darkness of Mad Max. So if we left it to the, you know, the Zuckerbergs, we're talking about Mad Max because you have now, you know, Zuckerberg and a few of his colleagues 
who have all the money and power and, and humanity gets left out, that we become marketed, we become data. So forget that. Let's not focus on that because there's hope on the other side. The fact is that, that, that all of this is uh, so. So yes, we need so, so my um, uh, argument for uh, the tech industry is we need to control it, we need to regulate it, we need to protect our privacy. All of that needs to be done. But but given what's happening globally now, that the protections won't come from the United States because our politicians are incompetent at understanding this thing. They haven't done the right things. The FTC has no clue how to rein in uh, Facebook. It hasn't done the right things. But the fact is that other countries are doing it. And in the next five or 10 years, we'll, we'll sort those things out and we'll protect our data because uh, there's a widespread awareness worldwide about the dangers of these technologies and these companies being exposed to what they are. So let's leave the darkness aside and let's focus on, on what, uh, why I'm optimistic that we can build Star Trek. I, I love it. I, I want Star Trek too. I want optimism. Let's, I'm, I'm ready to go to the light. I'm ready for you. Right. So, you know, the good thing is that the cost of building these technologies has dropped to the point that anyone can do it. There are startups all over Silicon Valley, there are startups all over the world who are taking health data and doing amazing things with it. You know, I, I invested in one company in New Delhi. I'm on the board of it, a company called HealthCubed, H-E-L-T-H-C-U-B-E-D.com. Go to the website and check it out. It's a device that does the same test that you do in hospitals. You know, it, what, what, here's what, what happened uh, then. It does an EKG, a 12 EKG, it does you know, blood pressure, and then it has sensors that read the common strips that are available, which are undecipherable by normal people, because you can check for dengue, malaria, HIV, syphilis, you can do uh, cholesterol, you can do all these tests using off-the-shelf medical sensors, except they're designed so that normal human beings can't read them. So what do these people do? They essentially built their own platform for reading them. And now it's being targeted to the developing world. I mean, I'm, I'm deliberately not having them bring it to the United States yet because I want 100 million people in, in India, Africa, Latin America to be using it before we even bring it here because here the medical establishment will try to stop it because it means that patients can now do their own testing, get their own data, and they can go online and speak to a doctor anywhere, anywhere who has all the right information. But you know, check out that technology. It's a democratization of, of diagnostics. And and again, um, uh, it, this this stuff works. It's being taken uh, all over India and Africa and Latin America right now. But that's the type of innovation that's possible using uh, uh, you know off-the-shelf sensors and using the the tools and technologies that are commonly available. So that's the good news. Let's go a couple. You're a doctor here. Let's let's take a couple of steps back. Okay. Um, what is disease? You know, the way the Western medicine measures diseases yes. by symptoms. So you're looking at, you know, you've got this pain, you've got that pain, you're looking superficially, and that's what medicine is based on. But, you know, in, in all, there are probably about, what, 600 symptoms altogether? I mean, uh, there are a few hundred symptoms, because you, you can only have so many things that go wrong with you, so many, you know, aches and pains. and, and <laughs> I don't know. I've seen, I've been doing this for a while, and I've never ceased to be amazed by the, the various ways things can go sideways. But anyway, I'm, I'm with you. Keep going. There, there are a finite number of, of, of symptoms in the, in the hundreds. Okay. And then diseases, there are a few thousand diseases. I mean, probably five to 6,000 are the different numbers of, of red, but the bottom line is that there are a finite number of diseases or mutations of these diseases. Now, when you add it up and look at it as a data scientist, you find that there are only about 150,000 possible links between all of these, between symptoms and disease. So trying to diagnose disease is a problem for AI. Now let's talk about AI. What is AI? AI is a better way of analyzing data. It's data analytics, pattern recognition, that you train a computer uh, how to look at certain patterns, it remembers them, and it keeps improving its algorithms, its formulas, 
uh, every time it sees more data and, and gets confirmation of what it is, it's able to learn that. So an AI can analyze these raw data better than a human being can because we can't look at so many variables ourselves. So you have specialists, you specialize in one type of disease, another doctor specializes in another type of disease, and never do the two meet. <laughs> so this is, and the patients have to keep going from doctor to doctor to doctor. It's a painful process for them trying to get diagnosed because no human being can understand all of this stuff. The beauty of AI is that uh, it can write above it and now look at the big picture and analyze disease. So, and now that we're getting all of these sensors, you know, like with HealthCube, uh, one of the goals is to get uh, millions and millions, uh, sorry, in the next year or two to get data on millions, uh, the millions and millions of tests, get multiple tests on patients and track them over a longer period of time. So we can now start understanding their disease and, and what medications they took and the correlations between all of these. But there are many, many, many uh, technologies coming uh, and many data points by which you can have AI start analyzing all of these and literally now being able to prescribe medications more precisely than the doctor can. This is all coming. It's all happening. It's all coming. And I, I share your enthusiasm. As I listen to you talk, I, I hear a lot of how I talk about things when I, you know, my eyes go wide, my pupils dilate, I get fired up because we, this is exciting and it's extraordinary. And it's an it's an odd role for me to be the to be the brake pad. I like to be the guy with the with the crazy idea going for it at 100 miles an hour. I, my wife and my friends will tell you that's Mark. In this situation, though, you and I are going to be working, I think, together in a way in lockstep over the next decades of ch- of a check and a balance. And I think the fundamental principle is going to be to say what and who is at the center. For me as a physician, my oath that I take, you know, when I finish medical school, the patient is at the center. I tell my team every day, patient first, team second, individual third. The patient has to be at the center. The individual has to be at the center. Are we going to be able to do that? This stuff is so sexy. It's so provocative. There is money beyond counting in the offing with this. But if we don't keep the individual patient, the individual human being at the center of this, it's going to, I worry, I, I genuinely have concerns that things will spin in a, in a really bad way. By default, they will be because at the end of the day, it's not the Facebooks and the Googles or the uh, the pharma companies that are now in control. It's entrepreneurs everywhere and their market is the consumer. So it's a, the medicine is becoming a consumer industry. It's all geared around the patient. That's not what I'm worried about. I'm more worried about the dark sides of things. I'm no more worried about the data leaking out. I'm more worried about the amateur geneticists, the amateur With their doctors. With set? <laughs> prescribing their own medications based yeah. on you know some stupid app that they happen to download yeah and 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 it, it being able to us being able to now uh, you know get any prescription we want being able to 3d print medicines and and, and this going out of control the fact that uh, we won't have that's so de- decentralized so much happening at the same time that uh, where uh, the technology is being misused this is why people like you the doctors have to step up to the game here yeah. so you can be the the coach and the guide that uh, your role has to change your yeah. role has to go from being the you know the person who analyzes data to the person who interprets the data and who helps guide the patient to recovery and, and who becomes the, the coach I agree with you 100%. That's going to be the value-added role that physicians can play. And we're in the very early stages of learning about this stuff. When people are asking you, I imagine you have a very interesting Rolodex on your desk, right? Just a kind of little head nod to some dead technology there. Where are you referring people to begin to learn about this stuff? Because it is complicated and it can feel intimidating and it can feel daunting. 
What are some suggestions you have for either somebody who wants to be an informed consumer of healthcare or somebody in medicine who wants to be ready to be that coach, that guide? Where are you referring people to go to start their learning process? Mark, the trouble is there's so, too many different sources and no one really, you know, it stays above this thing. So I'm learning this myself. My interest yeah. in medicine, yeah, I mean, I already started getting into into this deeply over the last three or four months because I have someone close to me who needs uh, to be cured from cancer. Uh-huh. So I've started learning, uh, you know, about all of this stuff so that I, that, I, that I can help make intelligent decisions. But the fact is that the more I learn, the more surprised I am that no one seems to understand. Even the, uh, the top uh, physicians and oncologists don't seem to understand what's happening within their fields, let alone adjacent fields. So there's very few people who see the big picture. There's so much data coming from everywhere, streams of knowledge. So I read all sorts of publications, everything from MIT Tech Review to uh, you know medical journals to uh, uh, nanotechnology uh, you know, publications, uh, so I learned about microfluidics. Uh, I'll put in a personal plug for my book, Driving the Driverless Car. That's a good starting point for learning the basics of technology. It just covered all the key advances yeah. and, and what they mean for us as human beings. I'm, I'm, soon, I'm going to be working on another book about the tipping point for medicine, how uh, it's becoming possible to cure disease itself. Uh, and that's going to get a lot more into it because I see a, 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 you know, a dire need to have, uh, uh, you know, to educate everyone on it, not only the uh, uh, the consumers, but the physicians also on the technologies that are advancing at these exponential rates and what's becoming possible. Now, you mentioned Chrissy Farr. She's amazing. This is why I follow her. And she's a friend that uh, because she is one of the, uh, you know, she's trying to interpret a lot of what's happening in technology and uh, teach it to uh, to a broad audience. I agree so, with you. She, she's a friend as well. She's been on Explore the Space three times. She's She is a real resource and a real guide. I'd just like to say, first of all, I appreciate you sharing what you're going through in your own personal life and why that is a driver for you. Uh, your honesty and candor around that is really helpful because for a lot of people, out of nowhere, their life changes and they have to then, they are thrown into the hot water and the deep water of being sick. And, you know, I, I had a really good talk once from a friend and we were talking about, you know, it was, a, it was a room full of doctors and he raised the question of who in this room has either themselves or someone that they love been sick. And he said, when I mean sick, I mean deep water sick. Everyone's hand went up. Everyone. This touches all of us. And you know, for you, and it usually comes out of nowhere, right? You wake up that morning, you do your workout, you have your breakfast, you have your coffee, you go about your day, and then all of a sudden a lightning bolt hits you out of the clear blue sky. Nothing is the same again. I've walked that road myself. It's, it's, it, you can't describe what that feels like. And I sense that that may be so where some of your energy, enthusiasm, and urgency is coming from because when you're now thrown into it, it, Healthcare is confusing. It is scary. It is daunting, and it can feel like you're you're in a you're in a whole new world. Is that is that part of this work for you and for your team to say, look, there's urgency around this, and we need to move? No, absolutely. I mean, uh, this is what I've realized as well. You're you're hundred percent right here, and this is why we have to come together now and accelerate the progress. We now have to uh, we now have to make all of this knowledge available to the right people and then steer technology in a positive path so we can build that Star Trek future so that we can now cure disease and focus on uh, uplifting ourselves, uplifting humanity itself. I like your book a great deal, and I would also recommend that people read the book that you wrote in the past. It was called The Immigrant Exodus, 
And that book, I know that book for me was, was rather alarming because look, I, I'm a hospitalist. I practice internal medicine. 40% of the physicians in the United States that practice a primary care specialty like hospital medicine or pediatrics or primary care or internal medicine graduated from medical schools outside the United States. 40%. These are extraordinarily talented, well-trained docs. I work with them every day. I'm proud of them. My father, he was a, he's a nephrologist. He trained outside of the United States. We, we can't afford to lose any momentum or any ground. For you, on, on how that, much I got bad news, so it's too late. Look at our president. Look at our uh, you know, leaders. They've closed the doors, and uh, the rest of the world is catching up. So there's nothing we can do about that. What we can do now is to learn and to, uh, you know, uh, and to leapfrog in advancing technologies. Yeah. On immigration, I've become pessimistic because we, 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 you know, we, the, we, the question right now is how much damage control can we do? How much bleeding can we stop right now? The patient is, has, is almost, you know, has bled almost to death now as far as immigration goes. So we just have to do damage control. No, it's, it's, a, it's a hard way to look at it. My sense of optimism remains as the, I'm the child of immigrants. I know you came to this country and have done wonderful things here. And that's part of this work is, is how do we sort of rebuild and retool? Because when we are all working shoulder to shoulder for a common goal, great things will happen. When we push people away, we are making a mistake. Absolutely. As you move forward, and you know, as you said, it's been three or four months of you being much more engaged around healthcare and technology. You've recommended reading the work that Christina Farr does. I totally agree. You've suggested, obviously, your books, which are fantastic, and I recommend them. This is why I wanted to have you, know, you on the phone. On AI, Eric Topol has a new book coming yeah. out. Um, that's a must read. That's I mean, uh, he's in, in digital medicine. Eric Topol is a guru. He's a person. I, the single person I look up to is him. All right. Very good. Well, I'm sure he'll appreciate the shout out. He was the fourth guest I had on Explore the Space several years ago around his his last book, and I'm looking forward to having a conversation with him soon. You're you're on a you're on a tough journey. It sounds like, and you know, I think that the vision that you have is a good one, and I appreciate and respect that as you're taking your knowledge and expertise, that you're looking for partnership, that you're not looking for plunder. And I think that if we can make sure that as technology and healthcare work together, they're looking for that symbiotic relationship as opposed to one where the patient is not at the center, I think we're going to be okay. Absolutely. This has been a really, really interesting conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm sure you get pinged all the time to to share your expertise. So the fact that you would take a minute and spend some time sharing with us and your own personal journey as well, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Absolutely. All right, my friend. We'll talk again sometime. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show, and you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.